Welcome back, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and truly grateful to have another great episode for you today. Well, so many studies talk about the first seven years of marriage being particularly challenging for couples. The cultural norm or expectation of the seven-year itch is kind of out there. And the reality is that the research really supports the notion of a seven-year itch. And so in today's episode, I want to tackle that issue and talk about what happens in those first seven years of marriage and what can couples do to be better prepared to face those particular challenges. So joining me today on the episode is David Dawson, the Director of Marriage and Family Life for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And today we get into a lively conversation drawn both of our experiences as husbands and fathers, as well as our years of ministry towards couples. We talk about the transition of living together for the first time for couples, money, finances, sex, kids, and establishing new holiday traditions, which all of those things can be areas of problem, but areas of great joy for couples as well. After the show is done, please don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, write a review. All of that helps tremendously to allow others to find out about the great work we're doing here with the Always So Podcast. So God bless and enjoy this episode. David Dawson, welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing today? Great, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So congratulations. You shared with me yesterday. Yes. News? Yes. Got number eight on the way, locked and loaded. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I was super excited. So you guys have gone from the sedan to the minivan to the church bus. Church bus. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get to the minibus and then the school bus at some point? Or yeah, what's the- <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe I think we got we got 15 passengers, so. <laughs> we got a, got a long way to go we before might, we get there. We might, yeah, we might dead, be dead first. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the good work that you do here in the Archdiocese and the Family Life Office. And so for our focus today, I really want to just... Uh, to talk about the first five years of marriage. Yeah. I mean, five, five to seven sure. years, you know, there's, there's, there's some significance to that time frame for, right. for couples. And so I want to run through some stats uh, before we kind of get moving into the discussion here. So um, an article that I read recently on fatherly, the website fatherly.com said this, it said that 10% of all marriages fail within the first two years. It's pretty significant. One in every, you know, 10. 20% of the marriages and in the first five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's significant, especially if you're investing in marriage preparation. One out of every five couples, right. that relationship will be over in the first five years. The question of the seven-year itch, is it real? Well, according to research, yes, it is. So when you look at mar- marriages ending in divorce, when they ask like what age, what you know, how many years into the marriage did the divorce happen? Back in the 20s, it was at the average was 6.6 years. Mm-hmm. Then in 1974, the average was 7.5 years of marriage. 1990, the average was 7.2 years of marriage. That's the average length of marriage. 6.6, 7.5, 7.2. And in 2017, the average was eight years. Wow. So pretty steadily for 80 years of tracking this stat, we're seeing that the majority of when people get divorced, the average is kind of right there in that six to eight year window. Mm -hmm. So the divorce rate as it stands is still hovering around 50 or 40%. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, we know that's higher for uh, subsequent marriages. So it's higher for second marriages, it's higher for third marriages and so on and so right. forth. But still kind of of all marriages, if you look at all the divorces, all the marriages, somewhere between 40, 50%, that's kind of where it's been for, for, for a while now. Um, so significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so we see all this. Okay. So we see that, you know, there's something that happens in these first few years. Okay. So divorce happens. That's a, that's a gold. Um, I don't want to say that's a bad word. I was going to say golden. That's not the right word. Like the, the five to seven, prime five time. to prime time. Yeah. Like if a divorce is going to happen, that's a, that's a, that's a high risk time yeah. in a relationship is, is during that. Okay. Sure. So what we want to talk about is, is why, mm-hmm. and then what are things to kind of look into? Um, but just right there, thinking about those stats, what are your thoughts when you hear yeah. that? You know, it, the first few years of marriage is hard in the same way that the first few, you know, uh, months, weeks of anything new and crazy is hard. You know, I, I like to liken it to, you know, spending some time in a different country where they don't speak your language. You know, the first uh, the first few days is like, this is amazing. You know, like everything is beautiful. It sounds beautiful. The smells are different and romantic, you know, and yeah. uh, the food is like, this is amazing. This is incredible. <laughs> and after a few days, you're like, somebody please speak English and give me a flipping hamburger. You know, like <laughs> that's why they have McDonald's in Rome. Exactly. <laughs> For the exactly. American tourists, you know, some people are like, and, I just, yeah. <laughs> I just want to somebody speak English. And after it really, and I've, I've experienced this in, in Mexico, uh, we had a five week, you know, immersion program. And, you know, even hearing uh, Spanish made my head hurt, you know, because I was, my brain was so, it was working so hard. And at first, like I said, it's beautiful. Uh, but after a while, like it just being in a different place, you know, getting married to someone is like moving to another planet where they don't speak the same language as you. That's right. And it's amazingly novel at first. And it's a good thing. That's, that's romance, right? But uh, it, it doesn't take long for us to get emotionally, mentally, spiritually tired and when we get tired, we go into self-preservation mode. Right. And we protect ourselves against the difference and what's demanding our, our, our attention and our mental energy and that kind of thing. And we end up kind of pushing away and attacking and demonizing a lot of times. You know, I mean, like I said, going back to the, the metaphor in Mexico for a while, I was like, I, I really I mean, these people are crazy. You know, everything that's about them that's different, I, I, I came to really not like. Then after a while, after a few more weeks, it was like, this is, these are my people. Mm. This is home. I want to be here. And now like to even have like chilaquiles, it's like, it puts me back there. I'm like, Oh, I got to go back, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's, it is a, there's a natural cycle there yeah. that I think with marriage, it's even more, you know, uh, uh, overwhelmingly different. There's even more of a shock to the system and it's, it's years of this, you know? So, um, and there's this constant 24 seven demand of my attention. I mean, I'm promising in marriage and my vows to love you and honor you all the days of my life until I'm dead. You know, like, right. That's intense. That is intense. Yeah. 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 That's intense. It's intense. Great analogy, David. Yeah. I, I appreciate you <laughs> sharing that. Yeah. I'll have some, some guacamole and mole for you later. Beautiful, please. Yeah. So we'll drink some Dos Equis as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a great analogy. Right. You know, you talk about, yeah, man, it's something new, novelty of it all. It's like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. We're having a great time. But at some point you're like, man, what, like, just, I want what's familiar again. And then, and then you have to kind of choose. Right. And so what I've seen is with marriages that the first, yeah, three years is kind of the honeymoon phase mm-hmm. that it lasts a little while. The novelty of the relationship kind of lasts a long time. And somewhere in five to seven years, the disillusionment kind of kicks in. And the way I've described it and articulated, at least in, when I think back on my experience, I, Chris and I, we've been married for 17 years now. And I remember that five to seven year range. Like when you're dating, you only see so much of a person. Right. And you're only really capable of seeing so much of a person in a couple year span. Hopefully you see enough that you like it and you make a commitment to want to marry this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you've been living with them and married to them and seeing them day in and day out for five to seven years now, the way I think of it is that like 
the scope of what you see with this person is larger. So yes. maybe if it's like a like a little, you know, telescope type thing, kind of when when you watch those old movies and it goes to panoramic shot, yeah. you know what I mean? It's almost like the panoramic opens up and you get to see more of this person. Now you see more good, but you also see more bad because That's you've right. been interacting with this person a lot, a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. And so the scope of the person, ex- the scope of what you see of the person rather, it expands. Mm-hmm. And, and in that, you're forced again to make a decision. In, in with the romance phase kind of ending, doesn't mean the fireworks end. I mean, doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be dating, all that stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Sure. Just in general, the, the novelty, the newness of the person kind of weans a little mm-hmm. bit. And you see all this, and so you have to make a decision. And okay, do I stay committed to what I've seen or, or not? And so the couples then are forced at that age, you know, that time frame, to have to make a decision. Do you, do you recommit? Right. And in the recommitment, then what we see, then marital satisfaction can go back up to where it was and sometimes even get better Absolutely. than where it was at the beginning of the relationship mm-hmm. um, or, or not, or right. bottoms out. And then you, and then you, you choose to, to end it. You know, I think another dynamic there um, is that the expectation going into marriage, the potential is so great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For companionship, for unity. I mean, we're made for unity. And that is the, 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 the idea that that could be what I'm actually getting here is, I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. And that's, yeah. that's what we're yearning for. When the truth is, uh, unity in marriage especially, I mean, what we're really made for, and this, the church is constantly pointing us to this and the scriptures and everything, I just, we tend to forget it because I don't really know what they, what they mean by the fact that like you have to die to yourself in order to live and that kind of mess. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, <laughs> but in marriage, it's like in the first few years, you begin to see that I'm not getting this incredible joy and, and, and overwhelming sense of unity that I thought I was going to get. Right. That, and, and I end up seeing that, that it kind of doesn't matter what I do or put in. Uh, I'm not getting out kind of what I expected to get out of it. Um, and so two things happen. One, the unity that we tend to expect usually isn't actually possible until about 10 or 15 years in. That the, mm-hmm. the maturity of a marriage is what brings about the kind of unity that we yearn for and that we see in the movies and that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that really it gets better and better as time goes on. But up until about 10, 11 years, really that kind of unity that I was hoping for. It's, it's going to be hard to come by mm. because we're trying to bring two people that are different, that are growing up in different families into a life together and to create a life together. And that takes a lot of time. Does. But two, what, what it, the only way that it's going to come about is if I actually give and expect nothing in return. And dude, that is, I think, a surprise for most couples. Even if I've read it in Theology of the Body, I still don't expect that that's actually going to be the way it goes down. Now, I'm going to challenge you because I've heard yeah. you say this in talks. I don't Great. think you expect nothing in return. Okay. I think he, I mean, like that's to be that selfless, certainly is saintly. And I know that's ultimately what we're called sure. to. But I mean, like companionship. Right. Not that it's a tit for tat. Sure. Not that I'm keeping track of like, you know, who did the dishes this weekend and who's doing the, tr- the trash and you don't kind of equal. It's not equal. Right. But yeah, if both are, are all in and, mm-hmm. and I think in, in that language, I agree. But like there is a place where. I mean, there are joys and fruits of marriage. Oh, absolutely. That not, not that you're demanding, you yes. know, it's not like you demand sex or, or you demand like we're going to sit and watch right. this movie together or, or make those things. That would be a lack of freedom. But part of the gift is that if you do it right, the, the joy of that kind of does emerge. Yeah. And I would say that like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think the expectation is that if I do it right, mm-hmm. that there is going to be some fruit, which yeah. is joy, which is happiness, which is the the fruit of companionship. I mean, the gift of having another person to share yeah. life with is really bar none, the single Absolutely. greatest gift of my, of my life. 
And so I, it's not that I would say that I demand those things, but I, I would say I entered into, into marriage with that as an expectation. Sure. So what I'm, you know, the giving, expecting nothing in return, mm-hmm. right? I think it's amazing how within marriage, when we look big picture, mm-hmm. it's so easy to get lost mm-hmm. and it's so easy to get disappointed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking big picture when it comes to companionship, like I, it's really never going to be matching in what's actually going on at home, especially in marriage, because, and especially when you start having kids, everything drags you down to the nitty gritty. And so big picture ends up a lot of times kind of getting us um, spinning in the sky where our feet aren't really on the ground and marriage is constantly yanking our feet back down to the ground. So when I say giving, expecting nothing in return, it's very much in the small decisions, right? Which is where it all comes down anyway. Sure. So for instance, you know, to, to, <laughs> there was a lot, of, a lot of advice that's given to men when it comes to sexual satisfaction in marriage which especially in those first few years, if it's reported, it's kind of hard to come by. You know, there's a lot of really miscues and right. missing each other's needs and desires. And it just, it ends up being really disappointing for both for a while, you know, and. Right. Um, I likened that to, it's like dancing. Exactly. You know, you have a new dance partner. Stepping on each other's Stepping on each other's toes. But even you know? the desires, it's like you're coming mm-hmm. from two completely different directions, you sure. know? And right. so that can be really disappointing. A lot of times the, the, the suggestions are, here's what you do. You know, you, you, you give. You know, you do the work in the kitchen, you know, you empty the dishwasher, you do right. a lot of touches and that kind of thing, non-sexual touches throughout the day. And then so that you can experience unity at the end of the day. So what happens is in the small things, if I'm giving because I'm expecting something in return, and it's not necessarily even in a selfish way, but like you're saying, because I'm expecting unity, I'm expecting that we could be on the same page. Yeah. And what happens is if I give, even if it's expecting something good for both of us, uh, I'm probably going to be disappointed and it won't be giving her the freedom to receive purely because it's a gift because I think she's great, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to I'm giving because there's a goal in mind. And even if it's unity, if I'm not just giving because you're awesome and I'm giving because we've got a goal in mind, um, it's going to be somewhat contrived and I'm going to be missing the mark and giving her the freedom to know that she's cherished, she's loved just for the sake of who she is. Right. So the giving, expecting nothing in return is very much, I think, uh, uh, a focal point in marriage. That if I've got that as a mindset, then what it does is it provides me with the receptivity to receive something I didn't expect. And the unity that we actually end up achieving in marriage looks well, nothing like what we expected. Okay. So I yeah. think that's the key. Yeah. You know, like you give ex- expecting with, you know, with managed expectations, yes. but being open to receive right. whenever the gift is Whatever reciprocated. Whatever that might be. Because I think what can fall sometimes is that like you just have to get, yeah, I well, think when people hear that, maybe when I hear it, I'll sure. say my own sense. It's kind of like, all right, stick your head down and just keep going, 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 going. Right. And never stopping to actually receive sure. the, the gifts and the joys that do come with marriage. Absolutely. And, and so sometimes it might feel that way. Yeah. But and to be honest, you see, there's, there was a, a particular group of Catholic college students mm-hmm. that were studied as they went into marriage and it was the females. Okay. And if, for whatever, you know, they kind of got in their minds that if I just carry my cross and lay down and take it, That's everything's right. going to be fine. That's right. And they end up not being able to bring about, bring up different topics and, and have the healthy conflict and, and that kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's obviously, you know, I think, so it's like I said, big picture, we're shooting for unity. Yeah. Small things. I'm going to give because it's a gift. That's right. And, ex- and expecting nothing in return means that like, I'm doing this for your good. And, and, and that's what I expect, you know, is that uh, I'm going to make you happy. Right. You know, and I'm not thinking about my own happiness. That's hard to do at first. <laughs> right. I think that's a virtue that, that takes time to build. Now, again, yeah. here's 
if you've agreed that, you know, Friday night's the night where the NFP chart looks good yeah. and, you know, you're not open or discerning that now is not a time for us to have more kids, yeah. then those things you mentioned earlier, husbands do help your wives. Doing the dishes, yes. helping out around the house. What you're doing is that women just have a lot more. The system Absolutely. is online and they're constantly thinking about all the different things. Generally speaking, of course, I always want to make that caveat. And sometimes to turn off those different systems, do the dishes, do a little bit of laundry, help out with all the things that she doesn't have to worry about anymore, mm -hmm. helps her kind of regain focus and to be able to enter into the evening also. Yes. I think a lot of women get dogged for having low sex drive. Right. And I don't think it's that that's right. the case. I, I think it's often just that like, they just have to be attentive to exactly. more things than a man is. And a man can compartmentalize a little bit easier, again, generally speaking, than women can. Yeah. So husbands, we can help our wives in that regard. Now that could be, like you said earlier, could be manipulative. Like, well, I only do the dishes when we're about to get lucky, you know, exactly. or I'm only going to give her a little massage when, you know, I'm going to get something in return. That yeah. would be manipulative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you offer it as a gift to help her mm -hmm. to be able to enter into the experience so she can be as free as possible right. to enter into the moment together. Um, I think in that regard, I think, it's, I think it's a beautiful gift that, can be, that can be offered. It's a very subtle difference. And I think the, yes. the, what it comes down to is actually in the intimacy itself is, is it, because guys are, guys are naturally goal oriented. Yeah. And a lot of times guys get kind of kicked around for that. They're like, I got one thing on my mind. When it, it's the subtle difference is going to be in the goal itself. We're going to be goal oriented. Right. And there's nothing we can do about that. So what is the goal then? Is the goal that we're going to have sex or is the goal that I'm going to be completely present to you in a way that is like ultimate awesome. And I'm going to be, you know, totally focused and entering into you. If that's the goal, then it makes the, uh, now the problem is. Can it, it takes, be both? Why does it have to be? Oh, it certainly can. But the point is like, if, especially in the first few years, it's going to be difficult for her to distinguish the two. And it's difficult Correct. for him to distinguish the two. Well, sure. You know? Sure, sure, sure. So a lot of times what happens is. We especially, if we have, especially if we have history and we come exactly. into this with baggage. We all, we all do these you know, days. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that becomes a comparison and all that's that. Right. And so navigating all that, that's why all having these conversations is, is exactly. crucial. So I interrupt you. Keep no, it's all right. Yeah. But I think, I think the, the difficulty is for, for the, for the guy, because we hear this advice, you come at it from different directions. And if we're looking at it, like, like men tend to do like a scientific experiment or project mm -hmm. or something, then here's the answer. You know, you do these things during the day and show she's free to be available at night. The problem is women are much better at understanding kind of the relational dynamics going into these things. Right. And so they're going to pick up on what exactly is your goal? Is your goal our unity and being there for me? Because if that's the case, then we do, if you know, if you, if you put the quarters into that machine all day and then you push a button and what you're expecting to come out doesn't come out, are you going to kick that machine? Is this a vending machine mentality? Right, right, right. Or yeah, yeah. is yeah. it that you are focusing on me all day to give me the freedom to be with you and to be focused on you tonight. And that that looks like what it needs to look like. And that that may be informed by her particular needs in that moment or whatever. And like, is he okay with that? Or is he going to be pouting? Right. You know, and I've learned that the hard way for sure. You know, like right. that, that distinction is going to be a very clear, uh, that for guys like, you know, to be able to give also in that in, in intimacy means being able to receive wherever she is, whatever she needs. And uh, to begin to learn to speak each other's language, right? Yes. And speaking each other's language means that I'm willing to enter in. Not, I mean, I, I can't speak female as a female. 
No. Right. right. But it's amazing how, and this is, I think, you know, a lot of the, the, the brain science has, has made some of this clear that like if a, if a man can speak female and a female can understand his language mm-hmm. and those two things are and very complementary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've joked with many of my couples in sessions that I refer to myself as a couple translator. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I'm like, do you understand what she just said? And he's like, I have, no. I have no idea. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, l- let me try my best to, to translate this for yeah. you. And vice versa, I'd be like, you, I mean, wife, do you understand what your husband just said? She, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, okay, well, let me let me try to kind of put this in female terms. You well, know? And going back and to, to go back and forth in that, yeah, it's, it's, my, it's important. My parents have done marriage prep for decades. And mm-hmm. one thing my dad always said was like, you know, after a few years, if I saw that the guy uh, put together a man cave, I knew that they were on the road to splitting. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's and he said, because it's kind of like a, a U.S. embassy. If I can just go to a place where everybody speaks my language mm-hmm. and feeds, feeds me the food that I like, I never initially end up learning how to love right. otherness. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's no room in the Sakasa household for a man cave. So exactly. I got a shelf. <laughs> that's that's as much as I can claim ownership on. You know, I've a shelf on a bookshelf in my room. You know, that's that's it. That's all I ask for. You know, I've got a ratty pair of shorts from high school. And I'm holding one of those things for dear life. <laughs> yeah, somehow Cage keeps finding a way to throw that's them. Right. You know, in something. You know. <laughs> All right. So you talked about marriage preparation. Let, let's talk about this for a little bit because yeah. I know you're in marriage preparation. I did marriage prep for for a number of years. Here's an older study um, going back to 1995 that looked at the effectiveness or kind of the duration of marriage preparation. So again, this is older, but I think some of these numbers still hold true. It said, interviewed in the first year of marriage, 93.8% of couples viewed marriage preparation as a valuable experience. In year two, that number drops to 78.4%. Yeah. By year eight, that number drops to 47.4%. Right. Okay. So we see a shelf life when it comes to marriage preparation, which makes sense. I mean, Absolutely. at some point it, it becomes rear view mirror. The life happens uh, and new kind of experiences kind of manifest. And, and so while that doesn't, that's no way to disparage the effectiveness and the importance of marriage prep, I think absolutely mm-hmm. it's needed, both articulating the spiritual theological dimensions of, of, of what marriage is, right. while at the same time, the practical realities, I mean, conveying all of that to couples Reviewing all of that is important in the snapshot of where the couple is. All that's fantastic. But we recognize that there's a shelf life. So right. you can only do so much in marriage prep. What do you think is an appropriate response uh, looking beyond marriage preparation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does formation look like moving into those five to seven year window that we've been talking about? Yeah. Here? You know, it, that's one thing that's it's very difficult to come by because it requires so much um, witness and model, mm-hmm. right? That the, a lot of times what happens is going big picture, like I said, um, big picture ends up bringing about more questions a lot of times. Like, okay. What do you mean? So like, for instance, if you go big picture, like, Hey, it's all about self-giving and not expecting anything in return. What happens? Well, right. we end up doing what we just did is like, Hey, hold on. I got a situation here. Mm-hmm. And anytime, you know, we've had married couples, you know, whether it be in marriage enrichment or, you know, if you're doing even after marriage or divorce stuff, you're trying to talk about, hey, big picture healing pieces and that kind of thing. And yeah. what immediately happens is somebody raises their hand and say, okay, look, I get what you're saying, but here's my situation. And that's what happens every time. But here's my situation. Here's what we got. Tell me how that applies to that, you know? And it's uh, it's not that there's necessarily like there's expectation, you know, I'm sorry, um, there's not exceptions necessarily, sure. right? But what married couples need more than anything, especially to start moving in, is I need someone who is willing to kind of enter in with me 
into these the details of this road mm-hmm. because it's going to be different for the first two years, three years, five years, ten years, whatever. And and what I've seen has been uh, super effective is that you've got some big picture stuff, some some big kind of uh, you know theology and and um, psychology and some some strategy and that kind of thing, but it's it's fleshed out and broken open with other couples. Yeah. So the way I'm thinking about it is, I mean, it's, it's hypothetical. Exactly. When, when you do a marriage preparation, you talk about big picture broad strokes, here are the potential pitfalls, but how life manifests, how the challenges and the joys and the twists and turns of life, those manifest in a very particular way to exactly. every particular couple. That's right. And so needing somebody, a mentor couple or the church or somebody to be able to kind of flesh these conversations out and to be able to help make those points of connection and say, exactly. oh, this is what selflessness looks like in, in my circumstance. Exactly. How do I, how do I live that out? I think that's what you're saying. And it's very much proved uh, in that when you start getting into a couple's like with counseling and stuff like that, everybody feels like we're the only ones who deal with these issues. Right. When it's very much not the case, but I don't, there's no way I can know that unless I've got access to someone else's journey to some extent. And it's amazing how you get couples together uh, who have given given some sort of guidance. And sometimes that can come as a way of a program, you know, some sort of structured program with formation materials. It can be that you've got a mentor couple involved who kind of has some expertise and being able to articulate their stuff. But in any capacity, to be able to hear other couples when they describe their struggling through stuff or their victories through stuff, and it can be like, you know, it's amazing how all the other couples are like, yeah, exactly. You right, know, right. To where, you know, they may have thought beforehand, like, I read that book, but that doesn't really apply in my situation. You right. know, whatever. You think the the church could do better with programs for this age range? Absolutely. I mean, I get that, like, you know, you have to do marriage prep to get married in the church, right. and so it's it's the it's like the carrot. You know, yeah. you have to do this to get that. So right, right, right. I get it. That's fine. It's initial training. But know. then there's no uh, on the other side of that. There isn't any. It, you don't have like another demand type of thing. Like it's not a mandate, a mandated right. thing. Is I guess you, what I'm you don't have to a captive audience in any form or fashion. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of times, um, and especially mm-hmm. with the first five to 10 years of marriage, you're dealing with, you got a bunch of little kids. And so getting right. places and being a part of programs and doing extra study and that kind of thing, even group work is like, who's got time for that? I mean, I, I work for the church and I see something that's a really great offering that I think would be really fun to go to. And I know I will never go. You know, <laughs> it's just not going to happen you know? <laughs> because true. I feel guilty just going to a long visit to the bathroom because, you know, the, my wife's got to deal with kids you know, by herself. You know, <laughs> so it's it's a lot of times we beat up. And I know I've seen this. I've been a part of this as a youth minister. You see this in religious education that the parents are always the bad guys. Right. Because they just don't care. They never show up. Right. It's like, you know what? It's because parents, especially of little kids, are in the tunnel and they know that, like, I'm just trying to survive in this cave here and it's taking everything I got. And so the hard part is the assumption a lot of times as, as a church is we that the, the solution is we got to get them here to the church uh, to be able to give them the medicine that they need. You know, uh, they need Jesus. They always need Jesus. Right. And so we're going to get them here for the sacraments. If you've got sacrament prep, obviously there's a great time to take advantage of chances to, right. to, you know, to hit married couples. But more than anything, I think what we're seeing that's working is helping couples, you know, give them just enough structure, just enough accountability to where they can lean on each other in connection with the family of the church. Uh, helping priests to get involved in some of those those groups, you know, priests can kind of get in there and be, provide some spiritual paternity, and it's amazing how enriching that is for the priests. Yeah, of course. You know, to where when couples get together, I mean, what we we do small talk because what we really want to know is I want to know what's really going on. 
you know, I need, I want to know between now and when I saw you last, what's really going on. But I also know that there's limitations. I can't really ask that much, you know, and I'm not really comfortable sharing all that much. But if it's a situation where like, all right, you know, this is especially true for the guys, you know, that every time we try to do any kind of marriage enrichment, anything, uh, the wives will call and say, hey, my husband just wants to know how much he's going to have to share. Right. And I got to tell you, I'm in the same boat. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not dying to share all my innermost, whatever. And to be I'm honest, not. I'm not dying to think about my innermost, whatever. You know? <laughs> I'm not dying to think about out. anybody else's problems. Exactly. You know? So he had paid to do. So but <laughs> if it's a project and it's like a, a lab, right? Yeah. And we're all getting there and we're putting the stuff on the table and dissecting it to see what's working and what's not. Like, right. that's fascinating. Right. And I think that is actually attractive for both men and women. Uh, and that is, if that's the mindset. And a lot of times, some of these, like, just a little bit of structure to provide for some small group, uh, you know, whether it be organic or structured, whatever, like to, for couples to take advantage of hashing stuff out together, we need help with that. Right. And I think the church can provide that. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. How long have you been married? Uh, 11 years. How was year seven for you guys? So I would say our year seven kind of stretched out about three years. <laughs> uh, most of our, most of our disillusionment and just kind of the, 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 you know, it, I think the first five years, it's amazing how you just kids and even if the kids aren't, there's a lot, not a lot of kids. Or for us, it was a lot of kids. But even if there's not a lot of kids, they call it the kind of five-year tunnel, you know, mm-hmm. to where even if you had an itch, you didn't you didn't have time to scratch it or whatever because you're so focused on surviving. After about six or seven years, you kind of got into a rhythm, you know, and, and part of the difficulty there is um, is that, and I, we certainly experience this, you get settled into like, well, this is about as close as we're going to get. I'd like to get closer, but I've, I've learned after the past seven years that like, that's just not going to happen because of this, this and that, you know, we got our walls up. She's got her walls up. I got mine up and that's just the way it's going to be. And it starts to kind of crystallize and you start realizing, you know, is this really all it's going to be, you know, and you're not getting any prettier. I'm not getting any stronger, you know, faster, better, you know, like we're just going to keep getting more old and tired and that's the way it's going to be. And, um, is there something better? And, and we're, obviously for each couple, for each guy, for each woman, that's going to look differently. But the question is, is there something more? Is there, there's got to be. And the truth is, there is, you know, we just assume that it's probably not you, you know, <laughs> because I know you now and now we've been through the, st- the mess. And um, so for us at that point, thank God we had uh, a few tools, you know, a few, some of that structure and accountability, you know, with the small group stuff was given to us. And we had the ability to kind of like hash some of that out Good. and know that like, the dead ends aren't really dead ends. And thank God, I mean, the grace for that, to know that the dead ends aren't dead ends. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I am, because I know that what it feels like, you know, we all do, when, when, when that dead end really feels like a dead end, like, oh, that's it's awful. rough. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. But to have some hope that like, we could actually get beyond this. And the difficulty is, I don't know what it looks like beyond that. Right. You know, and if I can't picture what it looks like, it has, it's hard to have hope that there is anything beyond it. Right. You know, so to be able to continue to push and fight and continue to ask questions and to have a safe opportunity for my wife to actually be able to answer those questions in a way that I might not have expected. I don't ask the questions because I assume I know what she's already know what she's going to say. I know where she's coming from. I got her figured out. But the problem is we are mysteries for the rest of our lives. That's right. And we get caught in thinking that we've got each other figured out. And that's when we're pretty much that's when we're up a creek. I mean, <laughs> that's when we know we, we, we got we got to do some serious work here. You know, date nights have got to start happening. We got to start just having safe opportunities to just sit and say, all right, how are we doing? What's going on with, you know, how are you feeling about us? Right. You know, and that could be a scary question, but man, that's adventure there. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And that could break us free. Yeah, I, I think you're on it. In your experience probably echoes what many people 
have had in, yeah. in mind as well that you get to the point where you're like, well, this is just is what it is. Yeah. And just kind of figure this, settle here, stay here. And well, you know, just raise the kids and wait till we die and right. see you later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, that's like, you know, and, and, and that's not, but some people I think think that that's what Catholic marriage is, you know, stay committed and, and, and just bear and grin it. And that's what it is. And, and that's not, that's not at all. I, exactly. I want to ask you a little bit later about that study you just spoke about. Sure. But, it, but in my experience, I, you know, similar, I think so, because I know these things and, and I like messing with my wife and my kids in general, you know, for year seven, I would go up to her and I would just kind of start scratching her, you know, <laughs> just at random times throughout the year, just go with a random body, like her shoulder or something like that, start scratching. I'd be like, you feeling itchy yet? <laughs> She's like, not yet, but keep doing what you're doing. And <laughs> I will be. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but I remember year seven, we were in Tallahassee at the time and, uh, it, and it was a particularly difficult time for us. I, I remember feeling, um, for lack of a better word, some of the staleness mm-hmm. in, in the relationship. I mean, that that's probably um, unfair, but I think that's sure. the word that comes to mind. They're, they're, I mean, that's real. I think there's yeah. a time in every relationship where that kind of happens. And I remember feeling that in that time and finances. I worked for the church my whole life. And, and so it, it's never been a, something that we've ever felt like we've gotten on the other side of. Like we're, we're just kind of right there doing all right. So the stress of that was always kind of, I remember that in particular year seven, I think Noah was, was coming around also. And I remember from, for us though, like I was mindful of that and I was like, okay, so like what, like what do we need yeah. in this and what, what has worked for us and what's lacking right now that was there before right. and not in terms of like a beholding or, or wish we can go back to, but just kind of really reflect and say, okay, well, what, what are we really missing mm. in this moment? And so we went hiking. We went, we drove up to, um, it was Georgia. Why is my mind drawn a blank? Um, Brass Town Bald, okay. uh, which is in Georgia. Uh, it's the highest point in Georgia. It's yeah. right at the beginning of kind of where the Appalachian really starts taking off. And so we, we went up, it's kind of by Tiger for Life Team fans know where Cove Crest, that's yeah. it, kind of up in, the, in, in those parts. And so we went and did a family weekend trip. It's about six hours from Tallahassee. Uh, drove up and, and spent the weekend camping. And I remember just driving kind of up to the top of Brasstown Bald, and it was a beautiful view from the top of that, where if you look south, you basically saw the, 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 the mountain changes dying, mm. and you just see it getting flatter and flatter. And then you look north, and you see it expanding and wow. getting higher and higher. Wow. So it was a real distinct kind of viewpoint from, from looking one way to the other. But I remember that's, that's what we needed. Yeah. You know, we needed that family vacation to be together to do something that we really connect with as a, right. as as a as a family, and to remind ourselves that we haven't lost us. Yes. Like, like okay, it's been it's been suppressed by the realities of life, by the busyness of kids. It's it gets suppressed sometimes by the the the, the, the drudgery of life that happens to all of us. But it was one of those moments where we reconnected, and it was like, and hey, no, but this is who she is, exactly, and this is who I am, and this is who we are, and this is what makes us work. Yeah, and and we needed that. And I remember driving back from that vacation, uh, thinking that like, oh yeah, it was almost like a retreat. I was like, this is like, okay, we're, 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 we're back on, yeah. uh, we're back on track now. You know, I know I, for date nights, um, I've come to learn that like the first 30 or 45 minutes feels like, what are we doing? Mm. We just paid a babysitter and we're just sitting next to each other in the car at a restaurant. We're like, well, here we are. You know, like, and we're wasting a lot of money here. And it usually takes about 30, 45 minutes to get to where we're like, 
wait, wait, you are pretty cool. Oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's this is right. awesome. This yes. is, I really enjoy being with you. Yeah. <laughs> but the nice problem to is, meet you. I'm your husband. Exactly. You know, like. And so the problem is, though, like we tend to, to, we can't see that, you know, going in. That's right. And so we figure it's just not, nothing good's going to come from this. It's right. going to be a waste of money. We're going to go spend time that we don't have, uh, money we don't have. Um, so the date night stuff. But like, I think a lot of times, uh, the suggested, the, the you know, the the general kind of stereotypical suggestion is you got to spice things up a little bit, you know, right? Add something new, do something, some, something you haven't done before, you know, or or you know, try to get back to something crazy. But like, the truth is, the person that I'm sitting next to is like a total mystery. I just forgot, and I just I lost sight yeah. of that. And there is newness there, yes. But I stopped looking, yes, and I stopped and I stopped seeking because I stopped actually listening because for the most part. I've gotten in the rut of thinking about my own problems, my own issues. Yes. And I've, 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 and I do this all the time that I get in the rut of like, here's what she is and is not doing for me. Right. And what it, what she is doing for me is good. What she's not doing for me is it hurts. And the cost benefit analysis doesn't always come out very well. You right. know? And so like, and to say it out loud, it sounds so selfish and jerkish, but like, that's exactly what happens. You're a jerk. Yeah. I'm a jerk. <laughs> and so, but it, it, it's not until, I can kind of begin asking her questions and being open to hearing something I haven't heard before that I can begin to hear, even if it hurts, even if I'm like, okay, this is a dynamic that we deal with. It's conflict, you know, and instead of defending myself on the conflict, I'm just letting her roll, Mm -hmm. you know, and if I'm able to do that, and it's usually when we're like, hey, we're going to take this night and we're going to talk about how we're doing, right? Which for most of us sounds terrifying, you know, but I think it's because we know we're going to hear stuff we don't like, you know, but regardless, like that's going to be the night. And like, if we schedule it, we know it's because we want more for us as a couple. Yeah. We're both, the goal is unity and not just to beat each other up. And it's not in the heat of the moment. But I think even you're talking about like day nights in the first 30 yeah, minutes, yeah. You know, what are we doing? You know, some of that isn't, isn't even just like thinking about the person. Yeah. I think sometimes we just, we can get very easily get into parallel tracks. Oh yeah. Not even in a sense of conflict, but just in the sense of, um, you have your things. We've discussed these are the bills that you take care of. This is the responsibilities that you Teammates. have. Yeah. And these are the responsibilities that I have. And and you need to be faithful and responsible to those things. So you're just constantly thinking about what is before you. Yeah. And you forget that the other person is there with you. Exactly. And like you said beautifully, it's like, hey, you know, you have these moments where you're like, oh yeah, you're cool. Exactly. I remember that. that I like was, being with you. I like being with you. Yeah. Those little things are so important. Absolutely. And especially in those first few years, which is why, again, going back to like, you know, marriage prep, you're like, okay, you can talk about these things, but people don't know Mm-mm. until you're in it. Yep. And then when you're in it, it's kind of like, oh, maybe that's what those people were talking about, exactly. you know, a few years ago. It's like taking swimming oh, lessons okay. outside the pool, you know, which you got to do some of that outside the pool, but it's not until you get in the pool where you're like, wait, did he say something about this? I don't remember. You know, <laughs> how do you take swimming lessons outside the pool? If you did. I don't know what you're talking about. Some people do. I'm sure. Somewhere. You like practice swimming outside the pool? You put your, yeah. You just kind of. No, you, you don't. Know, if, yeah. On your Who belly. does that? Are you for real? They do it in uh, Afghanistan. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's one of the things. No, but they don't have a whole lot of water there. So, <laughs> but no, I, yeah, the, uh, but going back to, you know, the, the, the trying to get through the date, being teammates, that if 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 that w- what marriage was about was just being good and working, t- <laughs> this is so without the pool thing. You got me totally <laughs> derailed right now. I just need you to know that <laughs> like, victory, victory. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So teammates, workmates. Yes. If I if I'm like shooting to have a good coworker, I should probably marry a man. 
you know, because like, to be honest, I work a whole lot better on projects with mm -hmm. men than I do with women. Mm -hmm. And women, is, is she should, she, my wife should marry a woman for sure, because right. they do projects so much better together. Um, and to be honest, you know, even men and women who do work well together, there's still going to be kind of a disappointment and a, this, this grind of having to try to figure out the fact that you think differently than me. Right. You know, and you approach, you have different desires and you approach, you perceive things differently than me. And uh, just in the fact that we're male and female. And so like working together, just so being coworkers is hard. And to be honest, it's not really what we signed up for. And so it tends to be a little disappointing. It tends to be a little deadening. Um, and it's not until we can kind of break out and, and look at the mystery of the person and just enjoy them yep. for who they are. Amen. That, that we break out of that. And so like, I think a lot of times that coworker mentality it seems to be like, hey, look, we're working well together. And I, I like working, you know, you're pretty, so you make a good coworker. And, you know, well, you're funny, so you make a good coworker. And it's okay. Uh, but after about seven years, I could do better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, coworking or, or, you know what? I, I miss having a, a friend, a companion, somebody who I could just hang with and be romantic with. And, yes. You know. And it, marriages shouldn't lose any of those exactly. things. I mean, like, you should never stop being your spouse's friend. That's you, right. You should never stop dating your spouse. Exactly. Those questions of figuring them out, understanding they're, like you said, they're a mystery. You're always going to kind of learn them. Mm -hmm. You're always going to try to under, un, you know, uncover this, you know, and learn what it is that they're into, yeah. you know, today. And so, so yeah, all those things are absolutely important. Hi, my name is Jason Angelet. I hope you're enjoying another great episode of the Always Hope podcast with my good friend, Dr. Mario Sacasa. If you've been enjoying the show and looking for practical resources to help you grow in your marriage, we'd like to recommend our new marriage enrichment series called United in Love, United in Christ. United is intended to be used in small or large group gatherings at home or in a church parish. The content will turn to the church's rich teaching on love and marriage, sacred scripture, saints, and other holy men and women in the faith, as well as personal stories from couples who are striving to build their lives in Christ. It creatively offers couples the opportunities to reflect, learn, grow, communicate, and experience a deepening in faith and a renewed commitment in the most essential key in living out a holy marriage. For more information, go to our website at faithandmarriage.org. Now, we've been talking about just kind of generally for, you know, the first you know, with 35 minutes here of this conversation. Um, so I want to kind of shift gears and to get into some specific areas where we see uh, problems that, that happen. And this is from me, kind of my own reflection uh, in my own life, but then also as a counselor, what I've seen couples kind of work through. So maybe we can hit some of these kind yeah. of specifically, right? The first one that I think trips couples up is moving in together and sharing a home for the first time. Yeah, I know a lot of couples joke about this and now maybe cohabitating couples. I know that's a good majority of the couples that come from marriage preparation now are a lot of people already living together before marriage. We can have a whole nother episode on, on, on the morality of that. But suffice to say, certainly couples who live together maybe have already overcome this hurdle um, to some degree. I will say that my understanding, I guess, at least from the research, that the reasons why cohabitating is, is not always the best leading into marriage is because the, the part of when you live together before marriage, the permanence isn't there. Exactly. And so there's a, there's a thought that, you know, if things don't quite work out, we can leave. Uh, but then once you get married, of course, the permanence is there now. But if you've gone into this and you've already been playing marriage, the thinking that you can get out, it, it, it can kind of, you have to kind of really be intentional uh, if you've been living together and now getting married, you have to be really intentional on on looking at marriage as something distinct. Yeah. It's a distinct 
uh, than it was before. Yeah, yeah, it's something different than it was before. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'll just end with that. But mm-hmm. but for couples who haven't lived together and and are dealing with that now, uh, I remember it's just the dumb stuff that people joke about. So uh, <laughs> two 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 things, right? Well, the first one was the laundry. Honestly, mm-hmm. the laundry was the first time that I was like, "What? Well, you're <laughs> you're different," you know. <laughs> and for me, it was it, t-shirts. Okay. Yeah. I'm Hispanic. I grew up like you don't mess with the collar, you know, so you fold the shirts in third and nice kind of so that the the collar doesn't get messed up. Yeah. She, you know, folded it in half and threw it in the, in the drawer, you know, and the first time she did that to one of my shirts, I was like, woman, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what are you raising a barn? She's got to fold that better. Come That's on. You know, like it's my shirt. You're messing up with my t-shirt, right? <laughs> You know, which way is the, the toilet paper roll, you yeah, know, is yeah, it up yeah. or down, you right, know, right, right. Uh, where do you squeeze the toothpaste, exactly. you know, from the middle or the back. And, and, uh, now, you know, you're 17, these things you don't care about as much, sure. um, or you've learned to acknowledge that, like, it's not as big a deal, but with those first few years, I mean, those things become World War Three. Exactly. It's very much, I think, um, the things that we, we, we assume that the things that we hold valuable, that's not even holding valuable is they assume that like, this is what it means to be a human being. Yeah, exactly. Right. This is this is the way it is. This is what people do. This is what people do. And if you don't, like, where are you from? That's right. What's like, wrong with you? Where did you come from? And this is a moral problem. Yes, right? it's a moral problem that you do not put the toilet paper roll going over as opposed Seriously, to going under. That's it a, becomes a moral problem that, like, you like country music? <laughs> like, that's morally reprehensible. You know, and would I have said that before marriage? Not necessarily, because, hey, everybody likes their own thing. But seriously... When you're in the car. When you're in the car and you're and like. And they're listening to that song. Or when you're in the car and they reach over and touch the dial when you've already adjusted it or whatever. You, they, re, they, they start skipping songs and you're like, hold on. That song is, I know that people generally don't feel this way, but real people think this song is really important and want to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really translation for my way. Exactly. And my definition of normal and that's what's right. right and wrong here is. is but we don't know that. Definition. And that's the thing is I think we don't know how much we assume that the stuff we like is really the way it ought to be. Yeah. You know, and I think that that really ends up being the heart of it and why it's so deeply conflicted and why like it's, it's stereotypical and we think it's a surface stuff. It's not surface stuff, you know, and like the toothpaste and the toilet paper that ends up being kind of symptoms of some of those things where like it's the little daily things that we assume. And especially the longer we're single before we get married, yeah. those things get locked in. So and what do you tough. think are ways that couples can can navigate that? To be honest, I think regular conversations to where you see something like that, you know, to, if I know it going in, if, if I'm married right now, like we got this issue and it, man, so it took, I think, a few years for Kate to finally bring up the fact she was like, you never touch the dishwasher. Mm. And I, and it had built up for her. And that's what happens. These little things build up for her. It's where like anything having to do with the kitchen or the dishes, like, I mean, she felt like she was being abandoned for life because I hadn't touched the dishwasher because it had built into that. Yeah. Right. She's like, you don't care about me and you want me to die in, in a shallow pit because you're not touching this thing. You're leaving it all to me. And you now she was probably pregnant and she probably had, you know, a couple of kids at the time as well. But regardless, um, that was a big issue. And she would say that. And, I, and my initial response, of course, is being defensive. But at some point, at one point she brought it up and we had just been laughing or something. And it was in the context of it being kind of a joke. There you go. And I was able to see, and I actually did a little introspection. And I was like, you know what? I don't ever touch that thing. And you know why? It's because when I was growing up, there was a rule in my house that if you open the dishwasher and it was clean, you had to empty it. So guess what? I never did. Touch the dishwasher. I never touched the dishwasher. <laughs> and it was guy. the devil. That thing is the devil. And so 
I never touched it. And it was always magically emptied. She always took care of it. You know, so in my subconscious victory, you know, why would I ever even need to think about it? Yeah. And to actually have to think about it out loud got me to the point where I was able to say, you know what, you're right. I'm going to dig into this. And to be honest, it took a lot for me to, and I'm, I'm, I'm being honest here. It took a lot for me to start digging into that dishwasher. And it sounds so stupid, but these things end up being big things. They do. For whatever ridiculous reason. They you know? do. Yeah. Well, because like you said, we, we come up with these narratives exactly. and these value sets in our mind. And, and we all want to hold on to the truth that we believe is, is our truth. Yeah. And so we get defensive against that. And it's kudos to Kate that it recognized that maybe she brought it up. She probably should have brought it up earlier. But yeah. when she finally brought it up, she tried a couple different ways, but then to bring it up in the right context exactly. where you could be in a place where you could hear it, I think is, is right on. I knew she still liked me because we were having fun together. Yes. I knew this wasn't like she was attacking my identity. That's right. At least at the time before yeah. she was. Yeah. Not so, that time. Yeah. <laughs> great certain advice for, for couples there yes. is to kind of when to approach these conversations mm. and, and to not just view them as something insignificant. Exactly. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden she's going to start squeezing the, the toothpaste from no. the, the right place. But you've talked about it and then you have to kind of navigate um, kind of the fallout from that. Now, I mean, in your situation, you pressed into it. Mm -hmm. You recognize why you weren't, uh, you know, dealing with the, the dishwasher the way that you wanted. Yeah. And uh, and then you were able to to start responding appropriately to it. Yeah. Still took a while, but I got there. Hey, yeah. All right. Well, th th that's why we're all a work in progress. <laughs> that's right. Um, okay. So the next thing that I've noticed with couples that becomes quite challenging is family traditions, mm. especially the first couple of years of Christmas and Thanksgiving. Here we are, we're about to, uh, we're recording this the week before Thanksgiving. This show will probably air sometime right before Christmas. So it's kind of at a good time. Mm. When thinking about family traditions, who do we invite over for holidays? Whose family do we go over to for the holidays? How do we start creating our own holiday exactly. traditions? How do we hold on to what I did growing up, what she did growing up, what was the good in that? How do we make this special for our kids? All of that can be challenging for, mm. for couples in these first few years of marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I think advice-wise, you know, so the reason this stuff is challenging, I mean, the, the, the music and the, the chores and that kind of thing is there's a certain level of like, okay, why is this important to you? With holidays, it's obvious. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know what right. I'm saying? Like this is, yeah. and you're not going to uproot that. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can't just say, well, that's not, you know, that's not a good reason. It, it's, a, it's a good reason. I mean, this is like the heart of where we connect and, and, and we understand that life has meaning and all these things that's wrapped up in the holidays. Yeah. And so to-, to And even just happy memories of my childhood. I had happy memories of my childhood exactly. opening presents on Christmas Eve, right? And you're telling me that you want to take away those happy memories and say those happy memories aren't as good as your happy They're memories? Not exactly. Come on. I mean, you're not saying that deliberately, but that's the way we interpret it, that's right? Exactly when you, when you start saying it. that, like, you want to change the tradition. And so to know that going in, like, that's why this is happening. Yeah. And you're not going right. to avoid that. Right. So I think what's, what's been super helpful is if, if we can say, okay, this is going to be really hard. But ultimately, we, like, our, 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 our paradigm that we're going to work out of is that you and I and our unity is the most important thing here. Amen. That this is the goal. This is the heart of it. That if we're making decisions based on you and me creating something together, that we come first, despite how much I love being at grandma's house, we come first, right? So does that mean we're not going to go? No, we might go, 
if it's good for us and if this is what we can come to together that ultimately we're going to put our marriage first and foremost and uh you know whatever that might mean this year next year whatever and so for us it's been a yearly discussion it continues to be obviously it gets easier year after year sure the expectations change you you create your own traditions but like in those first few years i think if i know that like okay give me your hands let's hold hands look into each other's eyes Mm -hmm. this is going to be hard but you and i are going to stick together this is going to be about us and we're going to move into this and it may you know at first it may feel a little extreme that like we even go into grandma's house arm in arm you know whatever and we're going to sit together you know that kind of thing and like whatever it takes like if that's what it means as opposed to you know kind of getting swept away you know what i'm saying into the traditions and trying to reach back and grab hold of and the truth is the more we grow into adulthood the more we begin to see like those things were helpful for a time, right? But there's no culture, there's no tradition in those regards that it, 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 it's nothing's going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. It's a continuous growth. It's a continuous change, a continuous maturity. Grandma's getting older. You know, I'm, I'm seeing more of the kind of the darkness of my family as things get, you know, move on. And right. there's nothing ideal here. And that's okay because we continue to build. But if our marriage unity is at the focus, those things can kind of continue to swim and come and go. And it doesn't have to rock you know, my identity like it otherwise would. And I think it's okay also to acknowledge that there will be a sadness yes, in this transition. Absolutely. Because as you're mar- getting married and bringing kids, there is an, an sort of end to your own childhood yes, in that. Yes, very much and so. And you're adulting and, and becoming an adult. And that is a, there is a sadness in that, that you, you long for things to be the way that they were. Yes. As you're moving into something beautiful. That, that's not to neglect the beauty of the new traditions that you're going to come, but you, when you're kind of stuck in this kind of in-between, mm-hmm. I think that's what happens in this five to seven year range is that maybe you've had kids early on. And so maybe your kids are like, you know, kindergarten or something, or maybe you've waited a few years and now you're having kids for the first time until they're, they're infants or whatever it is. Um, but either way, that, that, that transition from my experiences as a child in, in holding on traditions to now moving into the beauty of what traditions do we want to form mm-hmm. with our own family. Yeah. Th- there's, there's something in that that can be sad and, and that's okay to, yeah, to acknowledge that. But like you said, choosing unity above everything else, I think is, is primo mm-hmm. recognizing that we're, we're in this together and we're not going to try to fight one another. We're going to try to be fair. That means sometimes we're going to be at yours family. Sometimes we'll be my family depending on the years. Uh, but we're going to do what we can, or sometimes we're not going to do anybody's Yeah, and we're just going to stay home and we're going to create our own traditions and start really bringing that into the forefront as Absolutely. well and to give that to our kids. Well, and just one last thing on that, the Fire. recognition too, that I mm-hmm. want my wife to experience the awesomeness of what I experienced in those traditions. Right. But the truth is there's no way she could, and there's no way that I can in hers because I don't have the relationships that she has with her cousins. Right. 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 And so as much as she wants to, and much as I sometimes want to enter in and be there and feel it with her, there's, it's just not possible. No, of course. And so to let that be an expectation that we can at least intellectually begin to let go of, right. They're like bringing them in means that things are going to begin to change pretty quickly. But although I've got those beautiful relationships with them to continue to remind myself that this relationship with her is still better. You know, it doesn't have to be an either or necessarily, but just to recognize, even if I am letting go, that sadness is going to be there, but it can be a, a bittersweet knowing that like what I have here is even better and more beautiful than I could have ever expected at these kid Christmases that I, you know, loved. Right. 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 Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Next thing, uh, children. Yes. Having kids for the first time. It seems to studies have shown that uh, marital satisfaction drops after mm-hmm. having the first child, which 
you know, people throw those things out as a meant to be a deterrent against a relationship yeah. or against having kids. And I would, I, I would agree with the study, say the marital satisfaction drops. I would disagree that that should be a deterrent. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you might think that I'm being crazy here saying this, but the reality is like when you start having kids, you realize that like, it's not just about the two of you yeah. anymore. And, and while everything we've talked about is absolutely important, unity, connection, it's in the life of your children certainly is the natural end of your love. That the love that exists between spouses isn't just about the two, but it's about procreation and bringing the next generation into the world and giving them a foundation of love and security, of, of, of knowledge, and, and offering them that safe space so that they can go become adults and, and productive members of society. Mm-hmm. So the place where I disagree with those studies is that they're, they end up being narrow uh, in, their, in their scope. Yeah. Like, Nobody do the studies of people at the end of their life, exactly. you know, and ask them, you do you regret having kids? Exactly. They said no one ever. Right. I mean, like that's when you look at the, the life of your child who's now an right. adult and say, man, you know, what a blessing that you were to us. Uh, and so, um, but knowing certainly that it is challenging, what thoughts do you have for couples who are, who are having kids for the first time mm-hmm. and just navigating yeah. kind of that whole space kind of within those first five to seven years of marriage? You know, I think I think there's also in that that study and any study like that, there's the narrowness and understanding of what marital satisfaction actually is. Sure. You know? Of course. Right. <laughs> because if you think about in general, right, we're not feeling as close. The joy of being together is so overwhelmed by the pain of getting up at night and the just pain tired. of just being completely drawn outside of myself constantly, you know? And so it tends to be, yeah. So in that regard and kind of a grand scale that, that, that can definitely be true. Uh, but at the same time, what we end up seeing is, you know, like when a, when a wife sees her husband holding the baby or whatever, or whenever, you know, he's getting up for her or something like that, like the satisfaction in that right. ends up being so much deeper and more beautiful. It just doesn't take away the pain. Right. And I think a lot of times our assumption is that the good things in life will take away the pain and like the good things in life come without the pain. Uh, when the truth is the best things in life end up being very much mixed up in and inseparable from a lot of pain. <laughs> and that's that's a lesson that's really hard to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's hard to recognize that. And, and especially in this first few years of parenthood, man, like that lesson was so hard for us to learn. I mean, Kate went from saying like, I want to be just neck deep in kids. I want to have a big family because our both parents came from big families. And we had one and she was like, oh my gosh, never again. You know, like, and, and we had, it was so much conflict between the two of us, so much misunderstanding, especially at night, you know, and uh, just self-preservation because we were just like, no, I'm dying. No, I'm dying. You know, like. <laughs> just so tired. Right. And so, uh, and, and none of us know what we're doing. And when you don't want you, when you don't know what you're doing, you're going into more self-preservation mode and. You know, you get, and then grandparents, you know, and the family of origin stuff starts to creep up even more. You thought you handled it. Well, here it comes again because now you got a grandchild involved and all these different dynamics and boundary issues become all of a sudden rearing their ugly heads. And I don't want to have to deal with that, you know? And so it's, it's, it's so hard. But I think, again, I know for us, um, and again, I don't know where this came from, if it was something that we studied, if it was a grace that God provided, but like to be able to continue to come back and focus and just sit and look at each other and be like, this is what we're doing together. Isn't that great? Yes. Because otherwise it's not a natural thing that's going to happen. And it takes, it takes an effort. Like, I, you know what? I, I, the baby's finally down. The last thing I want to do is put forth any energy into anyone else. Just give me YouTube or sleep. Those are my only two options or beer, you know, like 
or ice cream, but like whatever, those four options, you know, like otherwise. Those are good options. Yeah, great options. <laughs> joking. But it, 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 because I want to go dead. And so, but if we can take just a second to be like, to look each other in the eye and be like, this is happening because you and I are together. That's right. You know, and like I've even said, <laughs> I'll say this on, out loud on the air, but like, <laughs> this is happening because you and I had sex and That's it was exactly great. Right. You know, That's right. <laughs> Isn't That's that exactly great? Right. You know? And and to be able to just continue to come back to that on a regular basis, I have found ends up kind of reinjecting that joy, uh, and and it ends up maturing our understanding of love because the truth is, love is responsibility, right? But 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 to even say that sounds like your gut kind of goes because it's like the responsibility is not something attractive, unless we 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 understand that like love is ultimately entering into somebody else. And that's an adventure, but man, it's so, I mean, adventure is painful, Yeah, you know, and it comes with all kind of unexpected stuff. But like when the kids come along, that gets heightened to such an extreme that the responsibility aspect gets heightened. And we end up forgetting about the fact that like the reason we're here is because we wanted to enter into the mystery of somebody else. And now we got a whole, we got a third mystery, maybe a fourth mystery. And we're like, it's or just an overwhelming. Mystery, or know, an eighth yeah. mystery, you know, right? And, and I got to tell you, I mean, with this eighth one. We were more excited for the number eight than we were for number one or two. That's awesome. Because, you you, you know, you begin to learn that like, yeah, this is going to take everything I've got. And it's it's killing me, literally. Um, but that ends up being a good thing. And like before marriage is like, yeah, having kids and changing diapers and driving the minivans. Like, yeah, bring it. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to get holy as a couple. And you have one, you're like, no. Not at all. This is terrible. You know, like, I don't think I had that enthusiasm. Yeah, well. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I can't wait to drive that minivan. <laughs> That's what I said when I was 21. Well, I drove my mom's minivan in high school. And once I got over the embarrassment, I was like, this sucker's awesome. It's huge. Anyway, so I had that experience. So maybe that helped. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I learned yeah, how to yeah. drive a minivan. <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the key here again is, is recognizing that um, you, you have to, as we've been talking the whole time. Yeah. It's learning how to manage expectations exactly, yeah. and learning how to shift when, um, when the realities of your life demand that to happen. So you might not be going to the five-star restaurant as mm, often as you ever want again. or ever again. You, you may not be going to <laughs> the movies or whatever your date right, is, right. but are there other ways that you can still find connection? Yeah. And, and do you still have the, the larger goal in mind, which is that we're doing this together. Right. We're sharing this adventure together. Nobody said it was going to be easy. We're, we're dealing with this um, as a couple. And, and that should bring about um, cohesion. That should bring about teamwork. That should bring about connectedness yeah. and all of those things. And, and are we mindful of that? Right. So anytime we feel that we are alone or that we feel that we are, we are, we are pitying ourselves and woe is me, I think that needs to be a flag for you to begin talking to, yes, to your spouse absolutely, and to say, well, like, okay, this is what I'm experiencing, you know, and I'm putting this out on the table and not, don't do it in a way that's accusing the other exactly. person, but just articulating kind of what you're experiencing and giving them an opportunity to respond. Cause the reality is they could have not been attentive to your needs that's because right. they're attentive to something else that is important too. But you know, at least having the opportunity to to have those type of conversations. And pain, you know, it's amazing how pain can do one of two things. It can either cause me to go into my bubble, you know, or like if you look at something like the military, they've got it set up specifically to where the pain bonds the guys that are that are going through it. You know, like being in the trenches together, like there is no greater friendship than a military friendship, you know, yeah. than, than brothers in arms. But like in a marriage, it's meant to be even more so. 
right? Because you're going through so much pain together. But again, if there's not some sort of kind of real intentional, like we're going to actually go through this together. I'm not going to protect myself from you. You're not going to protect yourself from me. We don't have a drill sergeant telling us, hold each other's hands. You know, like <laughs> we got to, we got to kind of get that going on our, on our own. And, and it's amazing how that can be. And it's meant to be a very bonding experience. Like couples who go through the pain of losing a child. Oh yeah. Statistically, like they either get like the, the, most of those folks end up splitting. Of course. Cause it's intense. But the ones who yeah. don't end up being more close than they ever thought they could be. Right. It's either one or the other, you right. know, now, obviously, the, the, the pain of going through the initial, you know, years of having children isn't that, but it's it's still very, very substantial. <laughs> right? Got it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Finances. Yes. Thoughts on how to merge bank accounts yeah. and, and, and how to how to set up budgets for right. the first time together yeah. as a couple. You may have never set up a budget before as an individual, but now you got to do that with your kids. And yeah. What are your thoughts on, yeah, on so, all that? Enough debt and right. all those things, saving so, for the future. I know that for those who are in the finance industry, um, you know, banking and stuff like that, like it it sounds so, so dumb, but like I always say, and this seems to be, you know, with, with the people who are in marriage and, and, and it's like, I don't know, your counsel, you know, but it's it, the, the, the merging of finances, I feel like is such a vital part of marriage because it's not just, you're not just merging logistics. You're not just merging who can do what. It's money is how we understand freedom, what I can and can't do. Uh, rest, it's how I define rest. What, what do I have access to that can give me uh, rest? Meaning like that my desires are not, I'm not yearning, I'm fulfilled. You know, like money is, is a lot of times security. And so like those are major aspects of how we understand life and how we go through life. Freedom, rest, security. Those are, I mean, that's who we are, you know? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying in essence is our money is a value statement. Exactly. You look at your budget and you see where you spend your money. That'll tell you everything you need to know about what you cherish and what you value in life. That's right. So if we, if we define finances purely as logistics, like we're missing the whole shebang, especially when it comes Correct. to marriage, like with, with finances, what we're dealing with is everything about who we are. And so it's, it's the decisions that we make, uh, reflect that. So Merging bank accounts means that like we're, and, and we will, just like with religion, politics, but probably even more so with finances, we're coming from two different directions, no matter who we are. So to merge finances means that I'm not going to protect myself against your craziness. It's really what it comes down to. I'm not going to protect myself against your craziness. Against your craziness. Oh, because, mercy. That's, a, that's an incredibly vulnerable statement. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. much so. Because yeah. otherwise, that's what, because if they have a different value system, they're crazy, right? And it's going to affect me. It's going to hurt me. And it's going gonna, it, gonna to go against my value system, which right. is painful. Because that's the judgment that we make against them. Very much so. Yeah. Anything different is crazy. It's crazy. It's just, it is. And so to say, I'm going to give you access to my money, right? And I'm going to let you make decisions that I can't be there and make. Like that's, I'm, I'm letting your craziness affect me in a very deep and, 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 you know, foundational level way. And so, but if we don't do that, then what we don't, we don't get, we don't move into marriage in a way that, that unites us. Like unity is, I'm not going to protect myself from you. I'm going to love you and honor you till it kills me. You know, like that's an intense statement, but at the same time, we're okay with making it because we know that our fulfillment is wrapped up in that statement. Now, again, you know, let's put the caveats out there. Yeah. You are going to set boundaries, of course. Of course. And even if financially, if you do have a spouse who's completely irresponsible that's right. and racking up the credit card debts, I mean, you're going to revoke privileges. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, but so- you in, can't in, do that on your own though. You can't. I mean, and, and you will, so in the, in a regular situation, you're merging your finances, you're trusting one another, but yeah, if there are situations where somebody is, is taking that, 
and taking the savings and spending that on stuff that they shouldn't be. I mean, those yeah. are really hard discussions to have. And that's the key, right? Is, is, is like you said, the budget thing. I didn't make a budget. My budget was don't spend it. You know, that was my budget. Like you get money, just don't spend it, yeah. you know? And my wife's budget was like, somebody will take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't go very well at first. But what happens, you know, the, the creating of a budget, again, it's not just for logistics sake because I'm a planner, you know, because I'm not, neither is my wife. So how's that going to go? You know, like, right. So budget is not an attractive option. Uh, but a budget, what it does is it allows us to flesh out that value system. I'd say I'm, I'm the spender between yeah. the two of us. Kristen's the saver. I'm yeah. the spender. So when I took over the budget, probably 10 years ago mm. at this point, she did it for the first few years of her marriage. And I saw it really, it really taxed her you yes. know, doing it because she's, she's the saver. And we were living off student loans for the first few years when I was doing grad, graduate school work. And, and so money was really tight you yeah. know, the first five years. So it really put a, put a tremendous pressure on her. And at some point I, I felt like, okay, I got to step up and I got to, I got to take this over. When I took over the budget though, for me, it was really kind of a, I, I need a man up here. Mm, yeah. And it actually, it made me more responsible yeah. with regards to the spending because it wasn't just a, a a fictitious number anymore. It wasn't just this like, oh, we have money or we don't have money. Yeah. I was like, oh no, this is how much we have. Right. And and I'm in charge of what we can spend where. Exactly. And, and it ended up being for me as the spender, like to set limits and to be able to operate within those lips and seeing very clearly, mm. you know, what, what's going on here. And that's, I think it points to the fact that like, we both have to have ownership of these decisions, yes. right? The one who's spending too much and has an issue with spending has to have ownership of, the, of why we're, not, we're cutting the, that credit card up. That's right. Right. Otherwise it's, it's going to cause serious division because I'm going to feel like you're taking away my liberty. You know, you're making decisions for me and in and, and marriage, uh, the goal, like I said, is unity and unity is not going to happen if one of us is the decision maker. We both have to be freely, you know, together on the same page, which is going to require conversation. It's going to require getting to the table and say, okay, I see that you are spending this much on, you know, uh, clothes. Yeah. And you can track it all now because everybody pays with exactly. debit cards or credit cards. So your statements are coming through. You can see exactly where all the money's going. Right. And like, I mean, for me, like you don't buy clothes. Why would you? Because I'm a man. And I don't care what I look like, you know? So it was hard for me to relate to the fact that like she needed another pair of shoes. I'm like, I have one pair for everything. Why do you need four? You know, like <laughs> now I was wrong because I'm not a woman. I don't understand that, but I couldn't understand that because I'm not a woman. And I now, was in defense for guys who do like style. I have to admit yeah. to myself the once a year I do go shopping or a couple of times. <laughs> I do. I do like to have certain clothes that that do match certain yeah. outfits. Uh, well, so I do. I do depart from the the norm, the normal right. well, gender role. And, and I'll say, right. it is. What's actually funny is because Kristen, I, I take the boys shopping like yeah. when, when they need clothes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like and so you know, I'll go out and, and when I see something for her, right. I'll, it's, it's a real role reversal. It's, it's, it's really funny. Well, yeah, yeah. You're still coming at it as a man, just you know, and, and a different priorities. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very strategic. You That's know, right. I, I go in and I get out. You know, but anyways, but, but keep going. But yeah, yes, so it's I think it's a recognition that you're doing something with this finite good called money that I wouldn't do. Exactly. And you got to explain to me why. Why that is now even saying that can be can be a defensive statement. Exactly. But there's a point where then if you have the finances for it, to be able to support and, and respect that for the other person, or similarly when it comes to like even savings. Yes. You know, you can be too tight with the exactly. savings. Exactly. And I was. And that was the things I, I what it comes down to is I can say, look, okay, you know what, for your sake, because I love you, go get a pair of pants, but I'm white knuckle on that, man. <laughs> so but what would be better is I'm saying, hey, tell me why. Yeah. Help me understand. Yeah. And you know what? I know this sounds stupid, but like, let's sit here until, until we really understand each other. 
You know, because if I can understand that, man, I'm going to be all I'm going to be all either all for it or she's going to know why that needs to be tempered a little bit. Right. Because we've both come to an agreement, not because we compromised. Right. But because we got to the point, we really understood where the other was coming from. That's right. You know, and we can really get to the point where we take ownership of that pair of pants together. You know what I mean? And I think that is, I have found that to be to where now yeah. when we hit those dead ends, we hit those differences. It's almost exciting. And you're not complaining when she looks good in those pair of pants too. No. <laughs> well, the problem is sometimes she comes home and I'm like, I wish I would have been there and told you that those weren't the best decision. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We have many conversations yet to have. So, but it's, it is, it's exciting now to where it's like, you know what? We have, we don't agree at all on this, mm-hmm. you know? And I, yeah, I want to hear you out because we're feeling there's something there that I don't know. Right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but typically we go in there and be like, look, there's something here that you don't know, you know? <laughs> and we come at it from that, that angle, which, you know, I mean, that's not completely fruitless, but it's, it's, you're going to be, we're going to be defensive and I got needs and you need to meet them. You know, it's, it's going to be rough. And so, but that's what we do when we're tired, we're self-defensive. We're feeling like, I mean, Kate, when we first got married, she was like, you want us to live in a shack and you want us to die. You want us to starve to death. And you think that's, what's going to get us to heaven. And, uh, I'm not okay with that. You know? <laughs> And you're like, uh, maybe, I mean, maybe. That's, so, yeah. isn't that what the saints said? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's not true completely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, so but it took funny. a lot of conversations, you know, because yeah. otherwise we do, we, we tend to put each other in those boxes and we do those boxes get more and more extreme. They do. They really do. <laughs> yeah. And so we have to navigate all yeah, that. That's right. Okay. So last one here, just for, cause we're, 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 we're blowing our time, which yeah. is great. Uh, David, thanks so much for being here. This has been fantastic. So, yeah. uh, sex. Yes. We talked a little bit about it earlier at the very beginning and kind of throughout the episode, mm. but again, to give it real time for couples, you know, the first five to seven years, it, it, it's challenging, especially if couples, uh, what in any circumstance, I'll say that whether you come at this with some history, if you've had a conversion and you're, and you're, you're trying to live differently, or if you've both been virgins and coming into this for the first time. It is, as I said earlier, it's like dancing. That's so right. what that means is that you're you're learning each other's rhythms, mm-hmm. you're learning each other's preferences, you're learning each each other's styles and, and desires, and when you know and and how. And all of that uh, requires real gentleness, in honesty, in in conversation about yes. this topic, which can be really hard for mm. people. Yeah, uh, to really talk about. Um, what's going on in the, in the bedroom and what's not working for them. Um, and when it, when, when you're not articulating that, um, or when you get into a rut and cause even maybe even you figure it out in the first year and then all of a sudden it becomes a, a routine, you know, exactly. that's like, this is how it's always going to go. Or I'm going to lay this side. You're going to lay on this side of the bed. We're going to kiss for this many minutes and you kind of yeah. programmatize it. Right. You know, even that's death in a relationship, exactly. you know? Yeah. Um, and so it always requires a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a renewal. Um, and it's not that when we say spice, it doesn't have to be something crazy, right. not in that regard, but just kind of a little bit of a change to always kind of trying to keep this thing fresh mm-hmm. and new in, in the context of who they are again today yeah. in this moment. Um, I know a lot of times with that, that, that idea of the, the newness in it, a lot of times will, will kind of immediately lead to some sort of like new technical and the technical, you know, stuff. Right. Some new position or some whatever. new whatever thing or yeah. something like that. Right. Yeah. But what we've discovered is that, so it took yeah. us five years to have a conversation about sex. Yeah. Right. But then once we did outside of the bedroom, outside of the context, 
It's amazing how yeah, you don't have the sex talk right, right before, before or right after. Right after. No, 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 no. Those are those are those <laughs> the are those vulnerable those are, times. Exactly. Yeah, you're like, what? You didn't like what we just did? Exactly. You know, like, like the, kill the mood go, when you start getting into like, yeah. this is what I really, you know, it becomes like programmatic. It's like, no, well, I will now go to the bar. Yeah, <laughs> no, but the the uh, to have the conversations outside of the context, and we've started scheduling. We're like, all right, once a month, we're going to talk about how we're doing, and it's, it's fantastic. But we decided that in every one of those conversations. We're going to talk about physical intimacy. Oh, wow. And man, it has been so great because it gives us, number one, it helps us to understand where the other's coming from instead of playing the mind games, which we typically do, right? And number two, like you said, to, to, if stuff gets in a routine, like we're talking about that, like what is it then, you know, what are some desires that you have? What are some, you know, some, some thoughts, some, you know, where can we move in terms of, you know, personhood? Right? Amen. How can I understand you better? How can I understand your body better? And that kind of thing, as opposed to like, let's try some new crazy thing from the outside of us is where are your desires? Where are the stirrings in your minds and in your heart? Mm-hmm. What do you like? What do you not? You know, and that amazingly ends up leading to not just new technical stuff, but like new depths of connection in the midst, you know, new depths of understanding, like. I know, no, I now know where you're coming from. I know why, you know, you feel this way about this particular whatever, you know, like it's amazing how that continuous conversation. And it's not something that's a natural conversation a lot of the times. No, it's very difficult. Yeah. But those conversations are important because when you, again, when, when you put that the end is, is connection, exactly. that the end is us together, then it's not just about like doing this thing for the sake of it. That, 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 it's that, not just a thrill ride together. No, yeah. but I mean, unfortunately that's how we define exactly. sex at this point is a thrill ride together. Like we're both sharing this roller coaster ride. You're like, you sit in your cart, I'm in my cart. We're having this great time together, hands, yeah. but like, but we're not, Together, together, exactly. you know, and that really it's about this relationship that's ours. Mm-hmm. And, and that does require some very vulnerable conversations and uncomfortable discussions about what's working, what's not working. Um, how was that the last time? Was that, you know, this or that? And, and, and really having, having those discussions as regular check-ins, like you said, um, is, is really important, especially here when, when, you're, mm-hmm. when you're at the beginning of all of this in your relationship. As a, as a real kind of a point that we've had to, come to is there tends to be a dynamic when we get together with friends, uh, guys typically don't talk about sex with their wives. And if they do, it's because it's, they've got to a point where it's really crass and they talk about sex in a really crass way anyway. Yeah. So you got to kind of get over this, this funky hump there. But for, for women, the topic of sex is a little bit easier for them to talk about together. And it's typically a lot of complaining and a lot of hurt being poured out because they don't know who else to connect with because there's a lot of hurt, a lot of disconnect, a lot of feeling, you know, uh, that I'm not connecting, I, I'm not understood, and at least you can understand me. So it's very natural a lot of times when women get together to get together and really complain in very intense and painful ways about sex, which makes it so much worse. Mm. And so I would suggest that to make it a rule that you're not going to complain about your husband or about sex with other women, even if that's going on, if you do have a pain and a hurt, we'll say, hey, let's, can we, can we schedule some time to talk, right? And even and just chipping away and I, I guarantee you, you start chipping away and it's going to get a whole lot easier to talk about these things. You're not always just going to be chipping away. You're going to be able to handle, you know, some, some big topics, but like just start having those conversations, transparency, uh, vulnerability and say, listen, how do you feel about that? Let me just, let me tell you how I'm feeling about this because I want to be with you. Yeah. I could complain to my girlfriends and they're all complaining about their husbands. It's only going to get worse because they now we're together and unified in the fact that he's a jerk. That's right. You know? Yeah. So if you're only griping and gossiping about your, your husbands together. That's totally uh, toxic and, and exactly. not helpful. But if you've tried to talk to your husband and 
you know, he is really knee deep in, in pornography yeah. or really that being the expectation or even using, I've heard crazy things of people even using the language of the theology of the body to kind of work through yes. like in the super spiritual sense. Now they're using this language to kind of really get their sexual need. It's convoluted, exactly. man. You know, that type of stuff. If that's where you find yourself, like try to talk to your husband. If not, go to your priest. Absolutely. You know, you need spaces to be able to talk about these things or, or if you are going to talk to your girlfriends, make sure that they are people who have, and this is a good rule of thumb mm-hmm. as a whole, when you're going to have, bring up a disagreement that you have with your spouse to a friend, Make sure that your friend has the relationship at heart. Yeah, exactly. As like the, be- the best thing in mind is to keep in the, re- the relationship intact, not just bashing the other person. And protecting you from them. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That really, that, that you're, that, that, and, and that's how I approach it with my friends when, mm. when they come to me and when we talk about our spouses or whatever, that's always trying to, to really talk about, okay, you need a safe space just to be able to vent for a little bit. But I'm not going to use this as an opportunity for you to just gossip yeah. or really badmouth your spouse. I'm going to continue to try to turn yeah. you back to your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, any other thoughts with regards to, 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 to sex in those first few years and then just having kids yeah. and, you know, I think what's, what was a huge help for me is it's amazing how sex ends up being kind of a microcosm of always the disconnect relationship. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Especially the, yeah. the disconnect ends up being so, you know, just bring it to, it comes to a head. Yeah. So yeah. I found that going to prayer, uh, I would bring those things to God, be like, God, she doesn't care. She doesn't love me. She's cold. She's whatever. Uh, she's causing division in our marriage. <laughs> and like, God would be like, you know, he patient with me and he said, okay, here's why you are the source of a number of these problems. And here's how, you are, you know, your lacks are, are, are clearly causing some of her coldness and that kind of thing. And like, he would put me in my place, not just to put me in my place, but like, then he would help me and give me ways that I could work on those things and give me the grace. And it's amazing how going to prayer not only gave me perspective, but it gave me the grace to turn towards her and be willing to fight through the pain to fight for her, you know, and, and to help understand where she's coming from better. So I think, especially when it comes to sex, a lot of times we assume that God doesn't really think a whole lot about that. Even if I've read Theology of the Body, I may still be coming from uh, an understanding that, you know, the, the spiritual and the, and the physical don't really go together and that the physical with sex is so physical that God's not really involved in the details. God is more involved in the details than we could ever be. And I, I've learned that kind of, that he's had to show me that, that like, not only does he understand it, but he wants our unity even more than we do. And so he's willing to help out with the sexual stuff even more than he's willing to help out with the dishwasher situation, you know? Yeah. So I think prayer and continued prayer about it has been so fruitful uh, and God has showed that it's a priority for him. Amen. Yeah. Because uh, he gave it to us. Exactly. That's a gift. Exactly. And where we come from. To, yeah. <laughs> That's right. We all came from it. Exactly. <laughs> it seems like a pretty big deal to him. Yeah. <laughs> <That's a good. laughs> so good. So yeah. good. Well, David, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Um, Anything to plug? What do you got going on? Family life? Yeah. So one of the things uh, that we've turned to that's been a huge help for us is domestic church. Um, domestic church, again, that, that small group with other couples, just enough structure, the focus on praying together, the focus on unity as, as number one in the context of, of, of the sacramental life in the parish. Uh, so domestic church, you know, provides for, it's a lifelong formation for small groups of married couples as a priest, diocesan priests in all the circles. If you're interested, domesticchurchfamilies.com. DomesticChurchFamiliesPlural.com. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Excellent. For people. So that we found. It's, it comes from Poland, St. John Paul II. Great. Help get it moving. So yeah. beautiful stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll have you on another episode where we'll talk specifically Great. just about domestic church. We, we had too much fun today to, yeah, even, no, huh? to even get into all that. So, <laughs> so we'll talk about the domestic church movement and, and what it means and why it's important for people. So but we'll have the, the link to that in the, in the show notes for folks. So the last question I ask all my new guests 
David Dawson, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is uh, seeing what God has been able to do with my ridiculousness. Mm. And if he can do that with me, you know, and, and his mercy, mercy and, and just give me such a uh, uh, experience of seeing beautiful things and, you know, participating in the awesome things that he's done, he can do that for everybody else. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Awesome, dude. Well, Thank you. Thanks, man, for your time. Yeah, God bless yeah. you. God bless. Well, there it is, everybody. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end here. Hope that you enjoyed this conversation with David Dawson. One more thing that I want to add. Recently, I was in physical therapy. I've mentioned before that I'm training for a marathon, and so I needed to go to physical therapists to address some issues. And the PT, while he was working on me, asked me, because uh, he knew that I was a marriage counselor, and he asked, what, what's your one go-to marriage advice that you give to couples? So as I thought about it for a second, I said, the challenge for every couple is to choose your spouse as they are today. Often when couples are preparing for marriage, one is hoping that they're going to be somebody else and you may be quote unquote marrying who they will become and not choosing them as they are, but rather some fictional image or fantasy of who they might be in five to seven years down the line. Of equal importance is couples who have been married for 15, 20 years that often what happens is that they can compare their spouse to who they were when they were dating. And so comparing them to the past or comparing them to some person that doesn't exist anymore. So the challenge for all married couples is to stay focused on who they are today and constantly choosing them today. And so for you married couples that are listening to the show that have been married for five to seven years, enjoy the ride. It, it has challenges. It, there are moments, but man, it's awesome. And at the end, if you continue to choose them in the small things and love them well, then good things will happen in your life. So God bless everybody. Now that the show is done, please find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I love being able to dialogue with my listeners on the show. I love getting feedback and comments from people and I love being able to joke with you there as well. So look forward to seeing you all there, dialoguing with you on those platforms. Again, Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. God bless everybody. Be good. Be good.